The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, sweating it out this August, but actually, for once in my life, I've never said this, I'm kind of glad I'm not in Europe right now. Has anyone seen the heat wave going on there? Oh, I'm ready for snow. I am pleased today, listeners, to be in conversation with former Rhode Island Congresswoman Claudine Schneider, who was elected as a Republican to the 97th Congress and was reelected to the four succeeding Congresses serving the state of Rhode Island from January 3rd, 1981 to January 1991 for Rhode Island's second congressional delegation, the first woman to do so, I might add. During her time in office, she was a pioneer for climate action introducing one of the first comprehensive bills, the Global Warming Protection Act. Components of this bill ended up in the Energy Policy Act of 1992, though not a price on carbon or any targets or timetables, which we're still trying to get to this day. A passionate champion for climate action, Claudine now makes her home in Boulder, Colorado, where she still works as a consultant on a range of issues important to her, including ecological economics. She's a friend of our executive director, Bob Inglis, and was a friend of my former boss, the late Senator John Chafee, who actually was the first one to coax her to run for office in the late 19, early 1980s. Don't go anywhere, listeners. My conversation with Claudine Schneider is coming up next. Listeners, welcome back. I'm so pleased to introduce to you former Congresswoman from Rhode Island, Claudine Schneider. Claudine, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is my thrill to be with all of you today. So, you know, I have been a stalker of yours for a while. Um, I was um, very fortunate, honored enough to get to work for the late Senator John Chafee for the last two years of his life when he was chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee, and he was your delegation mate. So I thought you probably knew him way better than I did. I was a baby staffer at that point and maybe saw him two or three times face to face, but talk about John Chafee for a moment, because I just think he was lovely. John Chafee was one of the Republicans that was a man of integrity, although I must admit, uh, during the 70s and 80s, there were Republicans of of integrity, was also, to a great degree, a uh, bastion of environmental leadership. He worked very hard on a broad spectrum of environmental initiatives. And quite frankly, when um, being a housewife at the time in Rhode Island, John Chafee said, I think you should run for Congress. And at that time, there were hardly any women in Congress. So the fact that he was so progressive in deciding that we need more women in leadership was very, very gratifying to me. And it was also very gratifying to me because I had already been very much involved in environmental leadership just as a citizen. And so uh, it was an honor to work with him. He went campaigning with me. He did fundraisers. 
he was uh, a, a strong supporter and a very honest, kind, compassionate, and forward-thinking senator. And he was also one of the first senators to really engage in a meaningful way on climate change. In 1986, he held one of the first hearings on this issue as a new subcommittee chairman in the Environment and Public Works, which he did not yet chair at that point. That job um, was um, Bob Stafford from Vermont, another um, Republican of that era. And so Senator Chafee cared about this issue, and so did you. So you, over in the House in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, had one of the first climate change bills, comprehensive climate change bills that wasn't just a study, study this more. So what inspired you to take that step? Well, I got elected in 1980 and I served on the Science Research and Technology Committee. And it was fascinating that the scientists year after year appeared before our committee and they said, it looks like the climate is changing more rapidly than we had anticipated. And I listened to this for a couple of years. And then by 1988, I had been able to put together, along with the best and the brightest from our national science laboratories like Berkeley and Los Alamos and a whole broad spectrum of different government labs, what was essentially a roadmap called the Global Warming Prevention Act that incorporated all those actors that needed to participate in the solutions to addressing climate change. Because all too often, politicians and everybody likes to think in terms of the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing we can do to solve this problem? Well, with climate change, there's no single thing. It's all hands on deck. We're all in this together. The government must act, farmers, um, the fossil fuel industry, you name it, we're all in this. So I've, I've heard that referred to as silver buckshot. There's no silver bullet, but there's silver buckshot. That's a good one. All right. But <laughs> I soon get rid of the um, gun analogy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so at any rate, this comprehensive roadmap, um, for example, included one of the pieces that did pass was the appliance efficiency standards. And I called together the manufacturers of Maytag and Frigidaire and a number of other appliance manufacturers. And I said, look, the national laboratories tell me it's technologically and cost-effectively feasible to improve our efficiency on all appliances. I am going to introduce legislation requiring that. I said, you're either with me or against me. Well, in the end, they decided to be with me. We held a press conference together and they made the changes for the first appliance efficiency standards in the world. Because once it passed in the US, I passed it on to some of the international parliamentarians in Europe and Japan and elsewhere to spread this approach. And so that became known as the Energy Star Program. So when you go to buy a refrigerator, you're not just paying the upfront cost, but you're getting to understand what are the operating costs of that particular appliance. So that was one. Another piece was agriculture, regenerative agriculture, no-till farming. Um, a whole broad spectrum of approaches that were feasible 35 years ago. Today, there are Republicans pounding the drum that they don't want 
to do anything but business as usual. In addition, they don't want any solar or wind on their property. Well, it's their loss because now agrifoltaics is taking over and many farmers are understanding that due to the drought and the intense sun, that some of their crops are no longer growing the way they used to. The scarcity of water in the West is also a challenge. So now farmers who want to survive are putting in solar panels that provide partial shading at different times during the day to protect their plants and still, you know, provide a crop. And um, I would just like make a note for listeners that we actually had a, an agrivoltaic um, expert on the show last season. And we had um, last season as well, a regenerative, regenerative ag expert. So we're definitely looking into these issues and trying to share the information we can about why they make sense for this shared um, effort to solve climate change. Well, we need to accelerate. It's sad to think I introduced this legislation 35 years ago, and it's only today under crises management that farmers are getting the picture But I must admit, in the 1990s, I was invited by the Department of Agriculture to meet with about two dozen farmers from around the United States. And every single one of those farmers said, we think climate change is a challenge. You know, we know the soil. We know the temperatures. We know what's going on. What are you, Department of Agriculture, going to do to help us out? Well, unfortunately, many farmers have taken a different turn and politicized farming, much to their detriment. So at any rate, I hope your listeners do pay attention to your other podcast, Ursula. Um, There in this omnibus bill, there was also a piece on government, um, you know, and for the government to retrofit their own buildings, lead by example. Um, And that did not pass, but President Obama did institute one of the transportation provisions as well as the building provisions. Um, Some of you may remember um, rebates for tax for gas guzzlers. That was part of. Oh, um, well, it had a it had a cute name. Um, Cash for clunkers. Was that it? it? Yes. My (laughs) name was rebates for gas guzzlers, but it was. (laughs) my legislation that I kept pushing even after I left Congress to try to get that through. And now President Biden is accelerating the effort to have more energy efficient federal buildings, to have them rely on renewable energy and a broad spectrum of other things. So that's pretty much my legislation. As I said, it was a roadmap. It's still viable today, sadly. Um, I think that we're in a very, very precarious situation. When you can see the evidence of climate change everywhere, North Carolina currently is losing the Outer Banks due to sea level rise. We're learning that in Virginia, where our Navy has some installations, they too are spending enormous amounts of money to secure the, the shore. Kentucky, with all of the flooding just this past week, sure, it killed 39 people, a sad loss of life, but imagine the number of dollars required to rebuild, and you and I, as taxpayers, are going to bear that cost, and anybody who has an ounce of wisdom knows that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
And unfortunately, President Biden is kind of stuck now with funds having to go into the federal emergency management um, to make sure that we help these poor people. But if we're spending $40 billion a year on crises management, that is far more than we could be spending in accelerating carbon-free solutions. Where energy optimists and climate realists stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Able to afford to address climate change or that the cost is too high. I think the cost of inaction is way higher for all the reasons you just stated. The emergencies that we have to respond to that are, you know, you can't put a price on life. So you've lost life that you can't even assess the value of that property, it it becomes overwhelming. And those are our tax dollars paying for that. I'd much rather pay for the 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 cure, right? The prevention. Um yeah. sorry, the over the over the cure. And so yes, we definitely um now I think it was um a few weeks ago that 65% of the country was experiencing a heat wave. Which yes. I just learned that what um, con- what makes something actually a heat wave is that the nighttime temperatures aren't falling to the levels that they should. And so we're having record nighttime highs. So we're used to the daytime highs and it sucks. You got to get out in your car or whatever. You're outside. You're hot. I hate the heat. So like you get hot. But at night when the nights aren't cooling down, that is also really detrimental to ecosystems to sleep bad sleep, as you and I both know, bad productivity. So lots of ramifications from from unchecked climate change, for sure. And I'm sort of curious, um, when you were working on this issue in Congress, it was a different time. There were um, lots of uh, Republican leaders, which you were one, um, that were interested in working on climate change. And today it is a lot more polarized, but we are starting to see it come back around. So in the House, John Curtis from Utah has a, a climate caucus that has over 70 members that are part of it. And, you know, they all come from different levels of engagement. Let's be clear, even though the constituents of these members of Congress say they want action on climate change, the, the least that any member of Congress can do is join a caucus. It's just talk. It's not action. It's not leadership. It's not what we elect our public officials for. So joining a caucus, yes, fine, but show me the beef. Show me what you're doing. And I have to say that when just today I learned that 24 state treasurers from around the United States are currently using their government muscle and public funds to punish corporations that are doing positive things on climate. Well, and I think that's really interesting what you said, because environmental sustainability goals, ESGs, you know, these are, are something that have been born at least, you know, I'm not a finance expert, but I see them as having come about because corporations felt the need to respond to the demands of their consume of their consumers and the demands of their investors. And so they weren't required to create environmental sustainability goals. They took it upon themselves to do that. That is the free market. They are responding to a signal in the marketplace. And so to say 
that you're going to go after companies that have these goals or you're not going to do business with them. They're not welcome in your state. To me, that is, that is so anti-free market and, and just blows my mind. <laughs> of course, mine too. And the other thing that I find very mind-blowing is that the fossil fuel industry at this moment in time has record profits. Last mm-hmm. year, they made $91 billion dollars. Now imagine how that 91 billion could be used to prevent and mitigate climate change. But those are just the profits that Well, yes. and the profits, like let's talk about subsidies because the oil and gas industry still enjoys subsidies some of them over 100 years old that were given to them to try to prop up a nascent industry at the time. They don't need help anymore. Correct. And yet they still get it in light of having, you know, 91 billion in profit. So, I mean, talk about wanting to level playing fields. Well, and gas industry doesn't, they don't need the help anymore. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, when I was in Congress, we tried with both Democrats and Republicans during the 80s, we were very, very bipartisan. Um, we had made every effort as much as possible to eliminate some of the subsidies that the fossil fuel industry was receiving. Because I failed to mention my Global Warming Prevention Act had 140 co-sponsors, and they were both Republicans and Democrats. Today, you will never see a bill that has 140 co-sponsors. But my strategic approach was that we're all in this together, Let's work together and find a way to pass this roadmap to address climate change. You know, I think that having having worked on this issue for a long time, the the way it is framed is that by taking away the subsidies, you're raising taxes. And, 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 you know, it's a false, it's a false argument. But to me, what it says is like, if we didn't subsidize anyone, right? So we get rid of oil and gas, have no subsidies, then you really are truly leveling the playing field because subsidies will always become an entitlement at some point. Exactly. And that's the way I feel about corporations too, because um, right now we're seeing that corporations are saying, well, we have to give to both parties. What? You mean that your board and your investors and your employees are allowing you, Home Depot or um, Lockheed Martin, to invest in people who are trying to bring down our government? Yeah. I mean, we as citizens must speak up because this is a pivotal moment in our history. So you and I have touched on a number of different aspects of the problem today. I want your listeners to be inspired and motivated. So I want to share a few things that they can do, because oftentimes people say, oh, what can I do about climate change or what can I do about the government? Well, here are a handful of things that you can do. The most important thing is to vote. The other thing is speak up. Write an op-ed to your local paper. Ask the hard questions. Talk to strangers. And actually, I just did yesterday, and I said something. A woman from Texas was complaining about the heat in Texas, and that's why she is in Colorado right now, where I currently live. And I said, well, it's uh, going to be 
the, the new normal for you in Texas, get used to the heat. And I said, because climate change is definitely here. And she said, well, it's a matter of opinion. And I said, uh, no, it is the opinion of the majority of scientists that have been researching this for decades. And she said, well, to each his own. And my response was, no, we're all in this together. Every single one of us must have all hands on deck to take action. So when I say speak to strangers, yes, it may not be comfortable, but it's important. And speak to your children, to your family members, help them understand what a transitional moment in time that we are currently facing. Claudine, I think that is an excellent note to end on. And I thank you for your service to this country, for your passion, for your time. Thank you for your spirit and your time and um, look forward to maybe someday saying, hey, look, we did it. Polling from Frank Luntz found that 75% of Republicans under 40 support a carbon fee and dividend, which is really major. That 75% number is something that we're really trying to laser in on and focus on within the conservative caucus because there's so much potential there. So I think that it's really, really important that CCLers who are left of center make it a welcoming environment for conservatives because for, for a conservative to get into climate advocacy, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. And you have to be able to accommodate that and make it so they feel comfortable or else they're just gonna leave. We have to have a seat at the table. We have to have a seat at the climate conversation and give our point of view, because if not, then the only climate plan available is things like the Green New Deal. We have to be able to, to say that conservatives want to have their own plan, or else if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, essentially, right? Price, we are just cruising right along. Here we are, episode four already of season five. Is that right? Episode five of season five. five. Oh my gosh. Where does the time go? It's flying by so fast that you don't know which episode we are on, but that is okay. So fast. So fast. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to be here with you. Yes, and I am super glad to be here with you without snow, which I heard you mention in the opening segment <laughs> that you're ready for snow. How could you? Yes, I am. Re- I actually said to somebody today, I'm ready for fall and winter, so I'm, I'm not going to beat you up on that because I literally just channeled that same inner thought earlier today as I was walking by a neighbor's home in the you know upper 80 full 100% humidity weather here in the upstate of South Carolina. So I mean you have a dog. You have to take your dog for a walk, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So yes, I'm ready for it to cool down. That is for dang sure. It cooled down in Utah uh or actually I should say it heated up in Utah as we've got some new members Chelsea who signed up with us. Uh, Abigail W. and Murray, Camilla D. in St. George, Kobe R. in Salt Lake City, Mark M. in Provo, and Robin S. in West Jordan, all from the state of Utah. Thank you guys for standing with us and uh, joining on to Republican.org, which you can do at Republican.org forward slash join. Take seconds. It does not take long. Uh, We'd love to have you stand with us. Uh, Power in number, people. Uh, And we could use you. You're not just a number. You are a member of the eco-right community when it comes to Republican.org. Chels? You know what? I love people from Utah. 
some of the nicest people that I've ever met. And I'm thinking that it's maybe time that I head back out there again. It's been a while. It's a beautiful area of the country. I love it out there, too. I haven't been out there since, oh, 2018, I believe. But our, our mutual friend, Nick Huey, uh, we've got a lot of uh, friends out there, a place that Bob is going to be uh, going a couple times in the month of September, uh, one for a bike tour and then for um, another series of events in the Provo Salt Lake City area later in the month. So we're excited to be spending some time in Utah coming up uh, in the month of September. If you've got something um, that you would like us to be a part of or an event or anything going on, we would love to uh, we would love to hear from you. As, uh, and also, we will put out a call to all our Republicans um you know, in the southern part of the state, uh, down around St. George, Cedar City, we'll put put out a call down there uh, for Bob's first trip. And then also to the greater Salt Lake City, kind of Provo area, we'll put out another call to members there because we will have a Republican uh, member event uh, for you to come out and just uh, sit down, maybe have a cup of coffee with Bob, you know, casual conversation, maybe one morning, maybe one mid-afternoon. But we'll find a day, time, uh, and we will have that coming to your inbox if you are a member of Republican.org, which is another reason why you should sign up if you haven't done so. Again, Republican.org forward slash join. You know, I wish that I could go on a bike ride with Bob. Like, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, one of these days we're going to have to get on one of these trips and do like a not really a live podcast, but we could do some like programming where we're following Bob and we're talking to the people he's talking to. I think we need to work on that. Price. I, I, I think I, I smell a staff staff retreat coming in some way, shape or form, uh, something like that. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we did a staff retreat when Bob was in office one time and there was a biking excursion <laughs> as part of that event. Let me tell you, he dusted a couple people. I don't know. You might be careful what you wish for when it comes to biking with Bob. <laughs> the man can move on a bicycle. Uh, just well, gonna, let me I haven't been on a bike since I was like 16, so I bet he could crush me. But <laughs> it still sounds fun. It does sound fun. It'd be a good time. It's been too long since we've done a staff retreat where we need to all get together, um, which is a great time to you know shout out our entire team. Of course, our executive director, Bob Inglis, yourself, uh, myself, and then uh, Angela Lark, who digital director, uh, makes all things happen digitally on our team. Also, our good friend, Alex Bosmoski, who is, you know, we are. A... He's like emeritus, right? right He's like right. an emeritus member of the team. Exactly. Exactly. So we are a small but powerful and mighty unit of a tiny core group of folks that make Republican.org spin uh, the wheel spin every single day. Speaking of spinning, let's spin forward to next week. What do we have coming before we take a little one week off for Labor Day, Chelsea? Yeah, so listeners just note what Price just teased at, which is that the week of Labor Day, September 6th, 6th, we will not have an episode because the week before I will be on vacation in the state of Maine at Vacation Land eating a lobster roll every day. But next Tuesday, before I head off to the uh, wild green yonder, um, green, I hope it's green. It, they could be in a drought for all I know. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> we will be hearing from Daniel Pointer. He is from Carbon Neutral, Indiana. Somebody that Bob met at one of our Indiana, our Hoosier happy hours that we had this summer. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with him and hearing what he's got going on in the Hoosier state. 
Uh, we do have one more Hoosier happy hour uh, coming up in September. We're making some plans, hopefully, maybe to do one last one in October. Uh, but we will be coming back to the Hoosier State um, the last week of September. The happy hour, Hoosier happy hour in South Bend. So just to tease that, uh, September 28th, Wednesday, September 28th, for our Hoosier happy hour with Casey Crane and our friends with Indiana Conservative Alliance for Energy. Uh, excited to be back with them. 28th of September, South Bend, Indiana. Make plans to join us. Oh, no, I was just going to say I want to go to that, too. So now that I've sort of broken the travel seal, I want to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm really obnoxious today. It's it's clear that you're ready to get off and get out of town to Maine. So we, we need to let you go and start channeling your inner Maine because I know how much you've been dying and, and thinking about your lobster rolls every single day for probably the last several weeks wanting to get out of town and get back to up to a place that you love. That's right, Price. Well, you guys are very generous to pick up my slack while I'm gone. And listeners, I promise I'm coming back. So I will be back with that episode after Labor Day. Not going to tease that one, though, because one, you'll forget. And two, I like a little surprise, a little intrigue. So I do, too. Maybe we'll surprise you with a little bit more of that. What's coming after the quick Labor Day break next week, Chelsea. But until then, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 